Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena, United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody. It's good to be together with you today. Um, In 1054, uh, we experienced in the church uh, a split between what we've come to think of as the Eastern, uh, Western Church and the Eastern Church. Um, we call that split, which was so great and dynamic, uh, the Great Schism. The Great Schism. Obviously, not everything happened in 1054. There were hundreds of years of tension between the Western factions in the church, uh, kind of working against the, the tensions uh, between the Western and the Eastern parts of the church. Uh, power struggles, politics, all, all the good stuff that you might might imagine. Um, But in the year 1054, we use that as the year to mark the schism uh, because uh, in that year, uh, everything got so hot and so tense, and there was a lot of misunderstanding, I think, uh, that the Pope of the Western Church in Rome, what we've come to call the Roman Catholic Church, excommunicated the Pope uh, in the East, who was in Constantinople, um, and what we've come to call not just the Eastern Church, but like the Eastern Orthodox Church kind of grew up out of that. And the Pope at Constantinople was so offended uh, by that, that the Pope at Constantinople excommunicated uh, the, <laughs> the Pope in Italy. Uh, banner day, banner day for the church. Um, again, there were lots of reasons for the split. Um, some of them were cultural differences that had kind of grown up over time, uh, certainly language differences, Greek and Latin. You can imagine trying to translate between those two things, the amount of travel and how dangerous it would be just to get all of the parties together to have meaningful conversation. Um, there were theological differences that had kind of bubbled up over the years, different controversies that we had attempted to settle. Some we had, some we hadn't. Um, one half of the church liked to use flatbread for communion. One half of the church preferred poofy bread. Uh, so there, I mean, a lot of really serious things. I don't mean to, I don't mean to belittle it, but um, what happens uh, when we have a, a, a schism like that, a split like that, uh, is that uh, when we're together, we're forced to listen to those differences. We're forced to, to kind of give credence to each other's uh, culture or language or way or theological, but the things that we tend to be uh, emphasizing um, in our theologies. And when, once we've separated ourselves, we actually don't have to listen to those people anymore. We just call them wrong uh, and we're confirmed in our rightness. And so we, we move off at a great pace uh, in whatever direction it is that we want to go. And, and we see a lot of that, um, particularly uh, in the ways that we talk about uh, salvation, um, who God is, who God sees us to be, and how it is that God provides us uh, a way back into a relationship with God when we turn away, right? Uh, and, and these feel like really pivotal things. Um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, I would say to you that probably everybody's right. 
um, even if we emphasize very different things. Um, and one of the reasons that, um, that I'm saying all of this, just to get to a, a point, if that's important to you, um, is that uh, John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism, uh, sort of uh, pioneered a, a brand of theology during uh, the, the Reformation, um, the, he was a pastor in a Western church. Uh, he grew up and kind of espoused a very Western understanding of salvation, of theology, of who God is, what we're up to, what the, the, the human condition is, how we go about uh, reuniting ourselves with God. Um, and yet, he also was a very well-read person and had been quite captivated by some of the early church theologians, the patristic fathers, sometimes we call them. Um, and those folks, uh, there wasn't a uh, Western and an Eastern church at the time, <laughs> but uh, those folks that were writing, um, they, they really, uh, you know, the things that they said are things that have kind of come to, um, to, to embody the Eastern theology um, that happened in the split. Uh, and so he was reading those things and really, I don't know whether he put his kind of uh, Eastern theological ideas of salvation into his Western box uh, or vice versa, uh, but one way or the other, when I began to read and understand, like press into um, what Wesley really had to say, uh, I found a theological home um, that I didn't, I didn't have. Like I found a place where I felt like I could land an understanding of God that gave me space to exist that I hadn't really felt comfortable with before. Um, I mean, I, I still am a pastor in a very Western culture and very Western church um, with very Western the theological ideas. Like I understand that. Um, and yet it was the ways in which uh, Wesley brought some of these other ideas in um, and held them together uh, that I think is just, is just so beautiful. And um, the, the, the word, the theological phrase that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks uh, is called the image of God or the imago dei is the Latin uh, phrase for that. And uh, to me, when I hear that phrase, I hear the same invitation uh, that I heard when I, when I heard Wesley uh, kind of expanding my understanding, my language uh, around what salvation can be, how God sees us and how we understand what God is up to. Um, and it's been so important to me that I thought that's where I might want to start today as we talk about what, uh, what that is and what that means. Um, to, to just paint with some broad brushstrokes, and then I'm going to have an example uh, for us that has, uh, has been uh, helpful to me. Um, the Western church uh, believes that humankind was created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, we go back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, 26 and 27, uh, the first passages that talk about humanity existing. It says that God created humankind and created humankind in God's image and God's likeness. They were created. Um, and, the, and the Eastern church uh, believes the same thing. Why? Well, it says it in the Bible. So uh, we're all pulling from the same source material. It makes sense that we would agree. Um, the West tends to focus on what we would call like a legal or uh, ju judicial kind of understanding of salvation, that a law was broken, that penalties have to be paid, um, and that, that a debt is owed because of that, uh, but that uh, forgiveness of that, um, uh, forgiveness of that, that brokenness, that sin is possible, um, as is kind of uh, that debt being paid is possible. So uh, they're going to really highlight language around that. Uh, in the Eastern church, um, we're going to call that like more of a therapeutic understanding. Uh, rather than having broken a rule, uh, they're going to understand that 
that sin is the cor- like the corruption of humanity, the corruption of our hearts, that um, death and corruption kind of have dominion over all of creation. So it's, it's less a, sin is less a state that we are in, like a status, and for them, uh, sin is more of like a condition that we have. It's a sickness that we have. Um, the Western church is going to tend to define who we are and how we understand God uh, based on that status, right? That there is a debt that is owed um, to God for the laws that we have broken. Uh, the Western church, rather than uh, kind of defining us like our human nature by the fall, uh, the Eastern church uh, really kind of pulls our anthropology, like who we are as people, how God sees us um, from, from the creation. And that the fall is a distortion of who we are really meant to be. That the, uh, the image of God, the likeness of God um, is, is not a status that we leave, a state that we exit, um, but that it's something that we can recapture and that God's grace is going to help us recapture that. Here's, here's uh, if it's helpful, um, an example that I have seen. It's not mine. Uh, it comes from a, a pastor in the Eastern Orthodox setting. Um, as he was attempting to kind of describe the two, uh, I'm adapting it for our purposes today. So uh, if there's anything that I say incorrect theologically, uh, that's not on him, that's on me. Uh, and I'm sure we could all say with great confidence that he did a better job. But uh, here's where we go. Let's start with a Western understanding of salvation, right? Um, in the beginning, uh, God created human, and human was placed in the garden, and humanity sat face to face with God. They were in perfect communion, perfect relationship with each other. Uh, But in the beginning, in that story, uh, we see that they broke the commandment that God had made, do not eat the fruit of the tree. And as a result, humanity turned away from God. And because humanity was now in a state of sinfulness, and because God is holy and righteous and complete, God and God's holiness cannot look at, cannot participate in the sinfulness, the brokenness of humanity, the state of sinfulness. And so God was forced, in a sense, to turn God's back uh, on humanity. And as much as we humans might like to try to get ourselves turned around, uh, we find a a great deal of trouble with that. Uh, And even if we did, that does not mean that we are some like earned communion with God once more. Uh, it's not a possible debt for us to pay. And so we as humans remain, by virtue of our birth and our condi- the status that we're in, uh, we remain uh, sort of alienated and separated from God. Uh, but God, because God desires a relationship with us, God became human in the person of Jesus uh, so that we could sit together face to face uh, once more. Um, and, uh, and once again, because Jesus was God enfleshed uh, in the perfect state, um, Jesus had perfect communion with God once more. Uh, but um, because we continued in our own sinfulness, um, we, uh, we crucified him. We crucified him. And in that act, um, sort of uh, ironically, I guess God used our sinfulness uh, as a way to redeem us. And so in that moment, God lays uh, all of the sin of the world on Jesus. Uh, On the cross, all the sin of the world was laid. Um, And as a result of that, Jesus, who knew no sin, bore all of our sins, carried all of our sins. And on the cross, when that happened, uh, the unthinkable and unspeakable took place. And because Jesus was now in the same state of sinfulness, uh, God was uh, forced to turn away uh, once more. Um, To turn God's back on God's very own son. Um, 
Jesus cries out, why, why, uh, why God, oh, my God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Um, or as we sang just a few weeks ago, um, as we were coming into the Good Friday moment, um, the father turned his face away, right? Um, but because of that, because of that work, if we as humans um, have faith in Jesus, then as a result of our faith, our faith in Jesus, uh, we can be restored into a right relationship with God. Um, this doesn't mean that uh, we're different than we were before. Um, it just means that we've kind of been covered over. Uh, one of the, the Reformation theologians said that we're, we're basically all still poo. Uh, we're just poo that's been covered over by a nice layer of snow. And so God, in some senses, uh, doesn't see who we really are, like our actual nature, um, but we, he sees Jesus, who is covered over us, and so we appear uh, white, and we can be back in a relationship with God. And if we choose uh, to not be in a relationship with God, if, if we remain in a turned-away status uh, from God, then God remains turned away from us, and the result of that uh, for us is, uh, is death. Okay, now let's start ourselves again, but this time uh, let's think about how the Eastern Church is going to tend to tell the same story. Uh, it's going to start in much the same way. Um, God in the garden creates humanity uh, in the likeness and image of God. Um, and in the garden, uh, because we are in the likeness and image of God, we have the same capacity for self-actualization as God, right? We can, we can make our own choices about ourselves, what we're going to do, who we're going to be. Um, and in the garden, we had that choice, and we made that choice. And the choice that we made was, thank you very much, but we feel like we can do that on our own. And so we turned, we turned away from God. Um, but because we are still in the nature and character of God, the likeness of God, um, and because God from the very beginning assumed that in our nature and character, our likeness of God, uh, we were going to grow and to develop, um, the Eastern Church really talks about the condition of sin that we're in, uh, the corruption that we're experiencing. Um, and so as a result of that, we see over and over again, uh, we don't have to get to the New Testament yet. We already see that the posture of God towards us is one of restoration, desiring uh, to heal us from the things um, that are making us very, very sick. Uh, and so even there uh, in the garden, uh, after we find our ourselves in this horrible condition, uh, God comes walking through the garden and sits face to face uh, once more with, uh, with Adam and Eve. Um, but Adam and Eve did not desire that. They were ashamed. And so they turned away. Um, and God sent them out of the garden uh, to protect them. And then over and over again, uh, God returns to make covenant with us. And no matter how many times we turn away, uh, God remains uh, faithful and just. We, uh, we say it in our communion liturgy, um, even before we get to the Jesus story. We say, when our love failed and we turned away, it was your love that remained steadfast and that sought us out. And over and over again, that's what we say. Even, even when we turned away and got uh, led off into slavery um, in Babylon, uh, God came and worked through the leader in Babylon uh, to bring us back into relationship with God once more. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, in the person of Jesus, uh, when we had turned away so much, uh, God came in the person of Jesus to sit face to, fa face to face with us once more. And you've got to imagine that we've started asking the question, like, how many times are you going to do this, O Lord? Um, and uh, the psalmist actually asks this question. The psalmist says, uh, where can I go to flee from your presence, O Lord? How far away 
uh, can I go to get out of your presence? Uh, the psalmist says, in fact, if I go to the depths of Sheol, uh, even there you will find me, right? Uh, which was the way of talking about the afterlife uh, there. So if I go to the depths of hell, uh, even there uh, you will find me. And the, the psalmist makes sort of a prophetic claim there. Um, I don't know if it was a question or a statement, uh, but we see the answer to that question and statement in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not take his equality with God as something to be exploited, but took on human form and uh, being found in human form, surrendered himself fully to the obedience in God. And as a result of that was killed, uh, on a, even on a cross, right? And he died. And so it is that when we proclaim our faith, uh, we say that Jesus didn't just die, but when he died, he descended to the dead. And now there is no place in the entirety of the universe where Jesus is not. And Jesus says, the good news is that I am the resurrection and I am life. I hold the keys to hell and to death. Uh, Death has no power over me. Um, And uh, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, uh, by virtue of that faith, we uh, are healed. Um, And even though we die, uh, yet shall shall we live. Um, Otherwise, we just, I guess, stay stay where we were. Uh, but that we are invited back into full participation uh, in the relationship with the triune God so that our lives uh, can fully reflect the, the love of God, right? Now, uh, again, these are very broad brushstrokes with which we have just painted, but uh, I think it's helpful to think about um, how it is that we understand who we are and what it is that we believe God sees when God sees us, um, if, uh, if I could say it this way, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about answers to that very question. Uh, what does it mean that we bear the image of God? And we're going to look at it from lots of different uh, perspectives. Today, I'd like to turn just to one more passage of Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians verse 13. Um, and in that passage, uh, Paul is telling the Corinthians about this more excellent way, right? This way that we can follow. And Paul is going to use reflection language there, reflecting the image. He's going to use the metaphor of a mirror, which makes sense for the Corinthians because uh, they were the exporters of some of the finest brass mirrors in all the land. Uh, glass mirrors, uh, of course, had not been yet invented, uh, but they were the ones that, uh, that had the very best mirrors to, to share. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 13, um, Paul's going to talk about what it looks like to reflect the image of God in the world. Uh, and not just the image of God, but the image of God's agape or unconditional love for us. And Paul is writing this letter to them for a number of reasons. The first of those reasons is theological, right? Paul wants them to understand that they're made in the image of God, that Jesus is the perfect image of God uh, and lived an uncorrupted life, uh, unfettered by the dominion of that corruption and death. Uh, And as a result of that, uh, if we reflect the image of Jesus, then we reflect the image of God in the world. Um, for, For Paul, that was a theological concern because he believed that what Jesus was up to, what the resurrected Jesus was up to, was the work of finally restoring all of creation humanity and all of creation into its perfect image once more to restore us to that nascent state of being in which we were uh, in creation. Not to take us back to that moment, right? But to restore the image of God fully and perfectly in us. It was also for him not just theological, uh, but it was really pastoral. He wanted the people in the church in Corinth and all of his churches to have and to experience that wholeness and that fullness, what restoration could most perfectly look like in them. Uh, He wanted them to experience that for themselves as he had experienced it for himself. 
And then finally, he did it because it was, uh, it was missional or moral. I think moral, missional, put a hyphen, put one word in front of the other, I don't care. Uh, but he really believed that part of what we were called to do was to live a life of love with an ethic and a moral of love uh, in the world. And then that's what our mission was to the world to help the world see as the first fruits of this new creation, this thing that God was doing in us to restore in us the image of God most fully uh, so that we could love others perfectly as God had loved us. And so he spends this whole uh, chapter 13 talking about this more excellent way of love. And he says at the very end of it, uh, though today we see that love in, uh, uh, as an image sort of dimly or mysteriously reflected to us in a mirror, then one day when we see God face to face, we'll see it and we'll understand it most perfectly, even as God today understands us most perfectly. We'll come to understand God's full love for us and we'll be able to explain and uh, to share that love with others um, most perfectly. And, and so I, I want us to launch off today um, in the same conversation, in the same spirit of Paul. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking theologically, for sure, uh, trying to understand what it is that Jesus is up to and what it means to be a part of that. Um, I think our care in this moment, in these next few weeks, is also pastoral. Uh, we would love for everyone who's a part of our church family and those who are not yet a part of the church family, uh, broadly speaking, uh, to experience the fullness and wholeness that's offered by a God who continues to pursue us even when our love fails and we turn away. Uh, and then finally, um, I think it's a, it's a moral missional uh, impulse with which we are going to walk through these next weeks, trusting and hoping uh, that we as individuals and that we as a congregation, uh, even if we do it poorly and mysteriously, uh, we begin to most fully reflect the image of God, uh, God's love directed towards us back out uh, into the world so that others may come to know uh, what we have come to know. So blessings on you as we journey um, and uh, go look in a mirror today uh, so that even if, if a facsimile, right, even if a indirect, even if only a reflection, uh, you can see a little bit of what the image of God looks like in you. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, and while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Arena area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.